Hey listeners, today's episode deals with topics of child abuse, animal abuse, and child death. We wanted to notify our listeners who may experience trauma related to those topics ahead of the episode and to let you know that resources are listed in the description. Thanks for listening. In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How yeah. How's how's your migrainey, headachey stuff been? It's been completely gone. I feel like Oh, thank God. Yeah, I feel like no symptoms for so many days now. So I really am perplexed, befuddled, <laughs> bedazzled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally just bewildered about what it could be. Um, I now want a t shirt but... that says perplexed befuddled bedazzled and i want bedazzled to be in rhinestones that could be our merch yes <laughs> make it happen people yeah i just i really don't know what it was and that is the only troubling thing about it to me i'm just whatever it was i'm relieved that it's not happening anymore tbd but it's been a while so it's gone yeah, that's great yay yeah, but how about you? How are you doing? Recovered from vaccine dose number one. Congrats. Uh, anxious about number two since I didn't feel good with number one, but generally alive. Yeah, do you... <laughs> do you know, like I always say generally? Generally, I'm alive. <laughs> small percentage of me that's dead. <laughs> I mean, a small percentage of all of us, at least, that that's dead by now. <laughs> for sure. Do you want to share any of your experience for anyone out there who may not have gotten vaccinated or who might be nervous about their first time? Yes. So it's super easy, the process at least, like drive up, they stick a needle in your arm <laughs> and you drive away basically. <laughs> they monitor you and all that kind of stuff. It's it's like getting a flu shot basically. Uh-huh. I did experience some side effects. I felt, I would almost describe it as feeling drunk, but not the fun kind like I just felt a little lightheaded and my eyes felt like somebody was squeezing my eyeballs a little bit <laughs> and then I was kind of achy and didn't sleep well and had a headache but now 48 hours later I am fine great that's really yeah. good yeah. I hope that when I get it I get symptoms that make me like the kind of drunk I like to be where mm. I just go over to everybody and tell them I'm just I love you so much I love no really no I really <laughs> love you I mean it like I know everyone does this when they're drinking. I know you're going to think I'm drunk, but I'm not really sure. I, I hope I just start doing that at, right at the clinic. I love lovey <laughs> drunks. Like, people who get, like, angry drunk. No. Uh, stay like, the fuck away from oh, me. Oh, you don't watch Summer House. Not yet. Well, for all the listeners who also watch Summer House, Kyle on Summer House don't like his kind of drunk. <laughs> don't like a lot of their kind of drunks, actually, on Summer House. But, hey. I have like news news and Ooh. then i think we have some recommendations right yeah i have a couple of recommendations okay let me do my little news thing first if that's okay with you yeah so i read the other day that uh secretary deb Haland, who is the first native american cabinet secretary in u.s history that she announced the formation of a new missing and murdered unit within the B bureau of indian affairs office of justice services specifically to uh, investigate all of the missing and murdered Indigenous women. So you know how Indigenous women are murdered at, at a rate 10 times higher mm -hmm. than the national average? Yeah. And most of the cases are unsolved and don't get much of any attention. So pretty exciting that she's developing this agency specifically to investigate those cases. That's amazing. 
Yeah. So just wanted to share that piece of good news. That's what we need is some exactly. good news. Yes. So what recommend? What have you been watching? What recommendations do you have for me, for us? Okay, I have a couple of recommendations. We watched a documentary the other day. I think it's on Netflix. It's either on Netflix or HBO Max. Okay. But it's called Persona, The Dark Truth Behind Personality Tests. Mm. I know. I was like, oh, this looks fun. And it was really interesting and... Yeah, it's really interesting. It goes over Myers-Briggs a lot. And I've never actually taken the real Myers-Briggs personality test. But have you ever done it? Well, I mean, I've taken like the online versions, which I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm sure they're not the formal ones, Mm -hmm. but they tend... I think I've taken some that were kind of through an employer, like as part of like a professional development thing. And I tend to vary on some of... Like specifically, I always kind of... I'm on the line between introvert and extrovert. Okay. I could see that in you, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I've taken personality tests, none that were based on Myers-Briggs for work. And it's funny, most of what the documentary is about is how organizations use them in in their workplace and how discriminatory they actually are. Yes. How they don't take into the point of view anyone, any person of color, anyone different Mm -hmm. than the mother-daughter team that created it was. Yeah. It's really fascinating. I was shocked by some of the ramifications it has. Interesting. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. When I worked at the bank, they had what was called, I think, a personality index. And it was so weird because they used it, like it carried such weight in their recruitment processes where like if you were hiring somebody who uh, like the job was pretty detail oriented, regardless of if they had like a strong history of doing detail oriented work or whatever, the HR would always be like, well, their personality index shows they don't really like doing detail work. So you probably should look at other can like it was just really weird how much they put weight into that kind of thing which i'm sure like some of those questions are so bizarrely idiosyncratic where you're like well today i'm feeling like i i love people and i'd love to hang out with people and whatever so yeah yeah i love being around people but you know other days of the week i might be like i would rather set myself on fire than see another human being right now yeah you know it's just so strange i think to those kinds of tests because I don't know that they measure personality so much as like where I am in this moment kind of stuff. Exactly. What um, else you got? Oh, okay. So this is, I can't even handle it. We just watched this last night. So the is newest. It? Yes. Okay. The newest Law & Order SVU came out. Yes. And I am current on that show because I have seen every episode of that show multiple times. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I was ready for the new episode and I, it was great. Didn't let me down as usual. Yeah, and Stabler was back. Stabler was back. It was yeah. so exciting to see scenes of him and, and Olivia back together doing like what they used to do, but in like their new evolved ways and how it was just what every what every Law and Order SVU fan was looking for. You really got it. Then we also watched the follow up show, the premiere of Law and Order Organized Crime, which is going to follow Stabler on the new unit. Yes. And I really liked it. It's the So it was the premiere episode of it? It was. And it was good? Yeah, it was like a crossover. So it picks up where the end of the SVU episode leaves off. Okay. And then like picks up with him back on his unit, sort of. But <laughs> Olivia's in it, and they still have like crossover aspects from the previous episode. And yeah. it's interesting. It's shot very differently than, it, than SVU is. But it still has Law & Order feelings to it. And it's going to follow one story arc through the whole season i think oh that makes sense it, when i heard it's organized crime right yeah when i 
heard that, I was kind of like, that doesn't seem like the type of thing that lends itself to episodic storytelling so much as like season-long storytelling. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So one of my work friends recommended, shout out to Trisha. Hi, Trisha. She, I, I don't know, she was like, just found out that I had podcast and she was like, oh my god, I can't wait to listen. I don't know if she's listening. But she recommended a podcast called... Um, let me, let me pull it up. Okay, so the podcast is called I Love a Lifetime Movie, and <gasps> it's two comedians who recap a Lifetime original movie. Have you heard the podcast? No, but that sounds like a fucking dream come true to me. The minute that I heard that she recommended that, I was like, Matthew will love this. And the episode that she told me to listen to that I listened to is a movie called Pool Boy Nightmare. <laughs> 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 and it's all it's just them like ripping apart this movie and then at the end they actually interview the like main actress from Shut the movie I, you are gonna like this podcast a lot i think oh and they even God. edit in matt they edit in some of the dialogue from the movie i'm gonna cry which i was like oh i didn't i don't i didn't think we could do that i thought that would like be against the law maybe th- if we have gems of moments on uh the law and order episodes we should think about adding little audio clips for we people. Should. We should just, I bet there's just a legal like amount of seconds you can use. And I think that probably also if you are talking about it, like if if you oh, right. play it so that you can discuss it kind of thing, then I think that goes under like fair usage or something. Okay. We have to look so, into this. If anybody out there knows the Feel rules, free to email us. Yeah, if you are a email. <laughs> lawyer or a uh, creator. Yeah. Tell us. Let us know. That sounds amazing. I also wish to recommend two other things. So the first one, which you just mentioned, uh, I think you might have edited that out, but Wild Wild Country, the mm-hmm. documentary on Netflix, documentary series. Um, it's about the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and the Rajneeshi cult mm-hmm. in Antelope, Oregon. And I had heard of this once before, maybe twice before. I think there's an episode of My Favorite Murder mm-hmm. where I think Georgia covers it. That's the only time I heard of it. And ever since I've been so fascinated. Oh my God. It's, it's a good documentary. And what's really interesting about the documentary is there's... Um, a woman named Sheila, who was kind of the right hand of the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And she, there's something just very interesting about her. Like she's clearly kind of like a firebrand, like very, very polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. And also has a lot of like really interestingly admirable qualities about her. I don't know. It's a fascinating documentary. I'll be interested to see how you feel at the end of it. Because un- like, you know, most documentaries have a perspective where they're like, these are the this is sort of the good side of the story and this is sort of the bad side of the story and this documentary at the end i'm kind of left with like sure this this cult might have done a lot of bad things and and whatever and also how much of this it's kind of one of those things where like the people of antelope and the people in the cult clearly had like really really different like cultural expectations and clearly didn't get along with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how much of it is just, like, prejudicial. Sure, yeah. Be- 
you know, I don't know. It's it's strange. It's it's very interesting, and I'm still kind of like working through my feelings about all of it. But it's really a very fascinating story. And um, to be clear, I'm not defending <laughs> like very illegal things that the cult was doing. I'm just like how like it it clearly like started with small things and just escalated and escalated. Mm-hmm. And and I'm kind of like, well, how much of this was based on like misunderstanding, not communicating well, etc. But you know, they were also like drugging their people and um you know abusing them and stockpiling weapons and all that kind of stuff which clearly that's not great (laughs) not great not great anyway (laughs) okay so that's one recommendation good documentary another one that i literally finished probably about an hour ago is called abducted in plain sight did you watch it i have recommended this to you on multiple occasions (laughs) on this podcast (laughs) okay well, um, Glad to I know watched you're it. You're just like on the other end of that line, just kind of like, <laughs> uh huh. Mm, mm, great. <laughs> I need. Well, I, this I need to actually start writing down the recommendations that I you give me. <laughs> okay, abducted in plain sight. It's great. It's about a family friend who kidnaps a friend's daughter and brainwashes her, convinces her that she's part alien, and it's all a grooming child abuse thing. But it's very strange. It is very gripping. So bonkers and off the wall in such a, it's like, it's insane to know that this happened and the way it goes down. Every, I feel like with that documentary, every 10 minutes, I was like, this can't get any more ridiculous. This cannot (laughs) get any more off the wall. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, so that was it. Those are my recommendations. Me too. That's all I got. Well, should we get into the episode? I'm ready. Okay, before we before I start discussing it, I need to clarify something with you. Oh no. Because I consider that I got one of my guesses Where? in this episode. Where? Okay, because so the episode opens and we have like the exchange between the mom and the the housekeeper and sure. then within about 2 minutes beat cops show up. Like it's it's prior no, Okay, so here's the th- no, here's the fact No. <laughs> No, 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 but no, here's no. the thing: if it occurs before the title sequence, do I do I get it, or does it literally the opening footage has to be beat cops? The opening footage has to be beat cops. I will give you one exception: is if the first human beings you see on the scene are beat cops. If the opening scene is like scenery or like exposition, that's okay. fine. It has because listen, that's what we're talking about. You know <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, fine. So I guess you know you're going to get that. Matthew is denying me my fourth Beat Cop opening. I'm still at three out of four. We're in episode five of 22, folks. I think I'll get it. (laughs) I think it's the one you're definitely going to get and exceed. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we had eight Beat Cop openings this season. Minimum. Okay, so this episode is episode five of season two of Law and Order, and the episode is titled God Bless the Child, Mm -hmm. uh, after the Billie Holiday song. My... One of my favorite songs, and I'm going to share with you an embarrassing fact. If if it's, if it's about the Simpsons, if no. it's about the Simpsons CD. Oh, no. no, it's it's whatever it, you're talking about. This is definitely a little bit more embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but go ahead. Um, I auditioned for American Idol with this song. <laughs> God, I wish I had foot- footage of that. I got past the very, the very, very, very first round. <laughs> uh, I love it. So funny. Not as embarrassing. I know of this song. I learned of this song as a small child because Lisa Simpson covered it 
with her saxophone on the CD of mm. The Simpsons, where uh. Do the Bart Man was the lead single. <laughs> I never got into The Simpsons growing up somehow. I think my dad probably thought it was like too grown up for me. Okay. Okay, so this episode opens at the home of Ted and Nancy Driscoll, and there's this kind of frenetic scene between a mother and a woman who we learn as the housekeeper saying like, you have to call the doctor, you're being crazy. And the mom's response is, you're fired, pack it up, get out now. Dramatic. So it's very dramatic. And the housekeeper runs out into the dark and is like, help, 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 and flags down police. So honestly, within the first like 45 seconds, we get some beat cops, but oh, Matthew won't give me the credit for it. So let's get real. They show up at the apartment and they knock on the door and they're like, can we see your daughter? She's like, she's fine. She's just sick. And they kind of barge their way in and they get there and they're like, lady, this kid can't breathe. And we cut to the hospital. The doctor says the kid has strep throat with 105 degree fever. And uh, the hospital is thinking they're going to charge her with neglect. And they're trying to provide care for the the daughter. And the mother is refusing to let them treat her. Uh, They need to give her a tracheotomy. And she's like, nope, absolutely not. They tell her we're trying to save her. She says, we don't believe in modern medicine. And as they're having this argument, we get a hair blue to pediatrics. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. Okay, good. We They rush over because it's the daughter who's, uh, you know, it, code blue. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but did you recognize the little girl? I didn't. She's uncredited, but this is the first appearance ever of Michelle Trachtenberg. <gasps> Harriet the Spy? Harriet the Spy. Oh, my girl, Dawn. Or, as I know her, Dawn from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Dawn. Oh, I loved when the key came on that show. I, You know what? <laughs> Dawn was such a polarizing character on Buffy the I Vampire know. Slayer. I loved that season. Me too. A lot of people didn't, but that had some of the best, the best moments. It really did. Very, very real and human moments that mm-hmm. I appreciated. Sharp turn. Yes. So, she's dead. The mom is crying. <laughs> And we get the title sequence. I took this time to reupholster an antique couch. And (laughs) by the time it was over, but really by the time I had finished upholstering the couch, uh, title sequence was over. And we're back in the station. Mm. Logan and Soretta and um, the bald one. What's his name? Oh, Craig. Captain Cragen. Thank you. They're all arguing. What else is new? Exactly. Logan is... Boy, Logan has a lot of emotions in this episode. You know what's funny? Now that I'm thinking about it, there have been episodes where Logan sort of implied that his mom like abused him mm-hmm. and they had he had a really shitty kind of childhood upbringing. And even though they don't do a good job of explaining his character's motivation, I'm like, oh, okay, that's where this is all coming from. That does make sense. You know? I hadn't even so, thought of that. Look at you. Thank you. I mean, they didn't do a good job of giving us character backstory, but I'm finding it where I can find it. (laughs) So he's super fired up, yelling about, we need to charge the mother. She caused her daughter's death, blah, blah, blah. Cragen is like, we don't have anything. Like, we don't have any evidence. We don't know. We Like, what are we going to charge her with? Her daughter just died. So they're like, okay, let's see what we can find out. 
and they go to find out more about the church that this family belonged to, the Church of All Saints. So they start by interviewing the housekeeper who had been fired, and she says that she had, um, okay, so she's talking about how the daughter was really ill that night, she was getting worse over the course of the week, and she told them to call a doctor, but because a parent who is seeing these symptoms in their child but refusing to give them treatment would either have to be, as she puts it, blind or negligent. By the way, this episode is one of those episodes where we have like 85,000 different scenes. And so you're going to hear me say cut to about 25,000 times. So we and, cut to the church. And by the way, the yes. church is the Church of All Saints, you said, right? I did say that. Yes. Was remember, I wrong? No. Do you remember the group All Saints from the 90s? I remember the name. I couldn't name a song, though. What was their song? Their big song was Never Ever, Never and I was obsessed with it. It went, can you, can you give us a ever, couple lines? Never ever felt so low, when you're gonna take me out of this black hole. <laughs> <laughs> that did not help me remember the song, but it just helped me generally. Thank one, you. One of the lines is, the way you're feeling, yeah, you got me feeling really bad. <laughs> <laughs> obsessed <laughs> i came across a buzzfeed list of like photos that will only make sense if you were alive in like the late 90s early mm. 2000s and mm -hmm. you can imagine that it was a lot of denim oh, sure. and a lot of strange layers like jeans underneath a dress um but one of them was a photo of malcolm from malcolm in the middle presenting at an award show with the line the headline literally said two hit wonder dream <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't think of another song they had because all I all I know them for is I love you, I love you not, or he loves you not. Yeah, I don't remember what the other one is, but I know they had another one. It was some kind of dance, dancey song. Shock. <laughs> okay, so we cut to the church, and the pastor or reverend—I'm not sure the appropriate terminology—he says we've been around long before doctors. Like we we believe in in spiritual healing. And by the way, the phrase spiritual healing was said. A hundred thousand times in this episode. Minimum. All I could think of was sexual healing <laughs> when I heard it. And so that song was just running through my head the whole episode. When I got that feeling, <laughs> spiritual healing. <laughs> so Logan is like, okay, sure, you've been around since before doctors, but I see light bulbs. I see a toilet. So clearly you believe in electricity and plumbing. And the uh, doctors or the uh, priest is like, yeah, whatever. We, we believe that God heals and uh, we don't believe in modern medicine. And... He also tells them that Ted and Nancy, the parents, never believed that their daughter was sick enough to die. And so that's why they didn't seek any help. They they go outside and we have the classic Logan and now Soretta, but previously Grievy, back and forth, like, I believe this, you believe that, bah, 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 kind of discussion. Logan refers to them as weirdos. And Soretta, honestly, I agree with Soretta because he was like, listen, these are, he like lists off a few different beliefs of different faiths that other people would think of as like strange or like not believable or, you know, whatever. So he's mm -hmm. basically saying like, listen, Logan, you're being ethnocentric here and, and seeing things only from your perspective to them. It might be weird to you, but it's not to them, which honestly, I thought was a very m mature perspective for one of the characters on Law and Order. <laughs> Definitely. So 
they go and interview the parents and they're like, didn't you get help? Like your daughter was getting worse. What was happening here? And they said, we did get help from a woman named Sharon Barlow, who we learn they call a church medical practitioner. So they go and interview her. And she says that she's been trained in spiritual healing. (laughs) She mentions that uh, when the girl wasn't feeling well, they prayed hard. And we did go to the drugstore and buy some supplies. And by the way, the supply they bought at the drugstore was rubbing alcohol, which (laughs) I don't really understand how that would help somebody with strep throat and a fever right but also i'm not a medical doctor well put a put a uh, question mark on that for now oh okay great so he says they talked to the guy who was working at the pharmacy or the implication is he delivered pharmacy supplies because he like was sort of there at the apartment and he says that um the healing woman was there and the mother was fighting with her and that the mom ran out crying and said and they were like well where did she run to he says that she ran into a coffee shop nearby. So then they go, oh, okay, pause. Uh. Matt, I'm about to send you a picture, and I need you to not open this text message until I start describing her, and then you can open this text message, okay? I have a text. Okay, great. So they go to the restaurant, the coffee shop, and there they interview a server. Now you can look at the picture, Matt. And this woman looks like she robbed a circus tent to make her uniform and has the haircut of a silky chicken. And I don't know if you've ever seen a silky chicken, but I just sent you a picture of one. And tell me that is not her exact haircut. That is so perfect. Oh, this chicken is so great. Oh, silky chickens are so cute. Oh my God. So she says that the woman drank three cups of coffee, spiked with a bourbon, and they kind of like look at each other like, wait a minute, bourbon, like that's outlawed by her religion. So, you know, if she's so pious and all of that, why was she, why was she willing to break these rules but not get her get care for her daughter? Which, by the way, if that's the type of religion she belongs to, the coffee would have been not allowed in the first place either. Maybe it was decaf? Overkill. Does that count? It wasn't enough research. Okay. (laughs) Back to the police station. And this time Robinette is with them. And he says, you know, they're still like, well, listen, she endangered her child. She broke her religious, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oath? Um, um, Expectations? Dogma? Whatever. One of those words. But they, she wasn't willing to break this one. So she put her daughter in danger. And Robinette explains that the only exception to endangering the welfare of a child is spiritual healing like that's the only legal exception so he says that in order to prove manslaughter they're going to prove that they knew that the child could die and prove that they didn't believe that the prayer would work in order for it to be child endangerment or manslaughter little disclaimer that i should have said at the beginning i hated this episode Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. So, (laughs) you mentioned that to me. (laughs) Mainly because it wasn't. It, it wasn't a gripping storyline because most of it is like, how do we prove this little, little tiny, uh, like, exception? And it was just so overwrought that it, I, I didn't find it interesting. So they need to prove that they knew the child could die and that they didn't believe prayer would work in order for them to be able to try them for manslaughter. So they decide that they're going to interview other church members to see if they can prove this angle. So this religious group, it turns out, came from this kind of s- small little town and they, the church organization re- recently relocated to New York. And so they go to the small town f- to start to interview people who kind of was 
were familiar with the religious group back then. Basically, they're in Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls interviewing people. <laughs> they go to this really small little newspaper newspaper company. Is that what you call it? Printing press? Pre- sure. <laughs> One of those. They go interview folks. They look through old pieces of news from the newspaper, and they stumble upon a headline. So it turns out this couple has lost another child in the past to influenza. It made the news. Now they're in New York. Their other child has now died of, of strep. So they go to interview a, uh, the aunt of the child who passed away, and she's apparently the only person from the religious group who didn't move away from the town. She has kind of uh, separated from the church, and she owns a stationery store, which is just super precious. And her scene opens with her talking about how their religious doctrine basically says that God's will is supreme, and if you don't believe that, you're a sinner. Uh, she tells this story about how she was on a plane flight with Ted and Nancy Driscoll, the parents. And the plane got hit by lightning, which actually I think is pretty common. Is it? When she said that, I was like, wow, that's pretty, like, specific. I think they have, like, antennas and stuff to, like, if it gets hit by lightning, it, like, diffuses it uh, so that it doesn't impact the plane. I think. Again, I'm not a pilot. Okay. Just operating on what I think I know. If you're a pilot or if you know things about uh, lightning strikes, feel free to send us an email. So the plane's hit by lightning. They fall 10,000 feet. She thought they were going to die. Nancy thought they were going to die. And Ted was like super calm and was like, well, we're in God's hands. So the implication in this story is that the dad's faith was stronger than Nancy's, which they're kind of supporting with the she drank bourbon uh, fact that Uh they got. So they go to talk to her and they're like, Nancy, listen, like, did your husband stop you from calling the doctor? And just then the phone rings and it's the husband, and he's like, "If the are the police there? And she's like, yeah. And he says, don't talk to them. Tell them if they have any more questions, they can talk to our lawyer. The police go and investigate if there were any 911 calls from the night of the child's death, and they do find out that there was a call from the, that apartment. And so they go and listen to the tapes, and they hear a call from the father, Ted. And it kind of ends halfway through. We do end up hearing that tape uh, during the court proceedings. Um, but essentially, it, it's like the the father was calling 911 because he it seemed like he didn't believe the child was going to make it, that they did need medical intervention. Mm-hmm. And I just have to point out that I know in the show's context, this is a real 911 call. But... In the real world context, I have never heard a more poorly acted 911 call in my life. It was life. awful. Um, you know what? You know when I have a real 911 call that seems more poorly acted? Mm. The staircase. Oh, burn. Tell not, me about it. Not that I'm saying that that guy killed his wife, but that 911 call is fucking weird. Mm. And this is very much the same where it's like, um, how many stairs did she... What? With stairs? <laughs> you know, it's very that. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, like they're talking at the same time and, and he starts answering her question before she even asks it. It's really poorly acted. Mm-hmm. So the DA is like, listen, we think you should plead to manslaughter and endangering the welfare of the child. Uh, but they decide, nope, we're not going to. So it goes to trial. And at this point I paused and I was like, it's gotta be near the end. And I was halfway over. <laughs> <laughs> so the trial is happening. It's not going great for the prosecution, actually. So they decide to try to get the parents to plead to the lesser charge of child endangerment. Again, they refuse. And we learn that th- through the housekeeper, that the daughter had asked for a doctor earlier in the week, and that the mother had refused. 
Um, but that would ju- be like key evidence, you'd think. Key, key evidence. But they decide that they're not going to allow the housekeeper's testimony because she's a quote-unquote prejudicial witness because she was fired by the parents. I don't know about that. That uh, seems weird. Right? Hello. A bad call to me. But they get the mother on the stand, and she kind of blows it all by saying that the dad tried to call 911, and she stopped him because he was putting his soul in danger. The jury comes back, finds the parents not guilty of child endangerment, but guilty of manslaughter charges. I was kind of unclear on what that was meant to imply, but uh, the episode wraps up with Stone saying that he considers this whole case a win because even though like, he thinks the judge is going to be really sympathetic to them, he's not going to give them any jail time, he's considering this a win because they did find them guilty of manslaughter, and so this is going to be in the press, and in the future, maybe another parent will call 911 and a child won't die because they won't want to be found guilty of child endangerment or manslaughter. And that is the end of the episode. I gave you a very abridged version because, as I said, I hated this episode. (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of moments at trial where it was just, it was just not, it was not gripping to me. So I was like, okay, what's the gist of this? All right, all right, all right. (laughs) It did drag on this episode. I definitely think it dragged on. Great job. Thank you. I'm glad Michelle Trachtenberg got her big big break. Her big break, her <laughs> non-speaking, uh, covered by an oxygen mask break. Hey, listen, if Erica Jane could just latch onto that. God, I forgot Erica Jane was in the pilot episode, huh? In the same role. <laughs> That's right. A non-speaking dead person. Okay, well, are you ready for the case? I am ready. Okay, so spoiler alert for everybody. Well, spoiler alert for N. I had a really hard time finding information about this case. It's the coverage of it in general. When you search for the victim's name in this case is by and large, just articles saying that this episode is inspired by the case. Yeah. (laughs) There's more news about the law and order case than there is about the case. Yeah. So I had to like pick N's brain a little bit and help me with some research. So, So thank you. You're welcome. It was easy. I kind of dig into the sort of topic in general of the phenomenon. what it's about. Yeah. And I actually found a case that's more recent that is way more indicative of what happens in the episode. So it's almost Ooh. like the episode was prophesized the... A future case. Yeah. Oh, fun. Okay, perfect. All right. So this episode was inspired, most likely, by the death of Alex Dale Morris. Um, like we said in the last episode, we're going to start listing most of our sources on our website. So check it out to see the articles and websites with links you can go to to see some of the sources I used, as well as the videos I watched. I will call out the documentary I watched called No Greater Law. Hmm. It was produced in 2018 for A&E, and it was, re- it was really good. I would also recommend it. It shows okay. definitely both, both sides of this issue in a yeah. really modern way and shows you like how it's playing out really hmm, okay. um yeah very fascinating and there's also an abc primetime special from 1992 i was able to find on youtube um i referenced them a little bit during the uh, research so okay all right so on february 28th 1989 four-year-old alex dale morris was complaining that he had congestion and when checked on by his parents he was running a fever the family to treat this anointed him with oil and laid hands on him to have him healed through the spirit of the lord okay they prayed for 46 days 
and on April 15, 1989, an anonymous tip led Oregon City Police to the Moore's home, where he appeared sick to them, but the parents said he was, quote, all right. Hmm. 29 hours later, he died from a lung infection that could have been easily treated with a basic antibiotic. By the way, one of the things that I noticed in this episode that I thought was funny is that they said the word antibiotic a lot. Uh And I was like, are they saying it the way they said it in the early episodes that upset you so much where they said antibiotic? I kept hearing. So they they toned it down a little bit because the guy, if you remember back in season one was like antibiotics <laughs> <laughs> this guy everyone in this episode kept with the accent but they were they toned it down a little bit but it was very antibiotic antibiotic <laughs> <laughs> and they said it about seven thousand times yes the oregon me at the time dr larry newman was quoted saying it was a horrible thing the kid was getting sicker and sicker for days and days at times the child would have been overwhelmed with fever and pain In this day and age, kids don't get stuff like this. And ultimately, no criminal charges were ever filed. Hmm. So that's really all we have on this particular case. (laughs) So that's the end of our episode. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, it's been lovely. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. So that's just indicative of a much larger problem. Mm. That is the case that really caught everybody's eye. And I think that's why everyone thinks that this is what it's based on. And what year was that again? This was 1989. Okay. So some further um, information about this epidemic of faith healing leading to children dying, (laughs) or people dying in general, but specifically children. Investigations into a Portland Followers of Christ Church found that 78 children were buried in the church cemetery between 1955 and 1998, and at least 21 of the 78 could have been saved with basic medical care. Also in this, they found that four mothers had died during childbirth within 10 years, which is 900 times the state's rates at that time. Hmm. Anyone who seeks medical care in this church are shunned or they're punished. Hmm. The followers of this church believe that they are direct spiritual heirs of the apostles, and they operate under James 5.14, which is, is any, let me, let me quote scripture here. <laughs> Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Okay. One investigation found, quote, 38 children buried in Oregon City died before reaching their first birthday. Many wow. within hours or days of birth. Little is known about most of the children's illnesses because investigations of at least three-fourths of the deaths either have been inconclusive or no investigative records exist, end quote. The records that are available also show that as early as 1965, there are cases of children in school with poorly set broken bones having to be sent home, and in one case, ultimately removed from the family in affiliation Mm. with this church and those like it in the area. Wow. So it's not a new phenomenon. It's been happening for decades, and, Mm -hmm. and I know Christian scientists sort of originated this or are the big proponents of this belief okay and even the church of christian science like the at large i believe allow women to get proper accommodations medically for childbirth and they have some other accommodations and exceptions to the rule okay but yeah all these small churches around the world amount for huge 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 amounts of death Interesting. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. 
especially because that i mean the documentary i watched is from two years ago and it's it's pretty astonishing what's going on huh what's so, the documentary called again it's called no greater law no greater law okay yeah. So, oh God, this was another troubling statistic I found. It's from a Canadian Medical Association um, journal. So it says, quote, an investigation led by Osser, who we'll go, get to a little bit later as a doctor, um, published in Pediatrics, found that between 1975 and 1995, 172 children died following faith healing, 140 from easily curable or treatable medical conditions, and in one case, a two-year-old girl choked on a banana and showed signs of life for an hour before dying while her parents and other adults simply prayed, end quote. Like they didn't, couldn't do the Heimlich? Correct. Wow. On a banana. Ugh. Like the softest. So this is the kind of things that are, these are the kinds of things that are being allowed and there's no criminal charges being, being placed. I'm so interested, too, in, like, where the line is, because when they were in the episode when Stone was questioning the spiritual healer woman on the stand, and he was like, you're wearing glasses, like, that's optometry, is that not medicine? And she, I don't think her character gave a particularly persuasive response to that, but there are so many things like that where I'm like, where where is the line? Like, you're, you can't do the Heimlich? Is that, that's medicine? Right. And actually, in the documentary, they address that because they speak to people who are of this type of faith. And uh -huh. the way one guy describes it is there are just some people who are more strict about that rule than others, and some yeah. churches that are more. And so like for him, he doesn't wear glasses, but he knows that some other people in his church do. And it's okay. like, okay with him. Yeah. But like, uh, he knows that some churches are way more strict about it. What about dentistry? Dentistry and optometry are the two things that are most called out by, you know, critics of this faith. I don't know. <laughs> so um, another interesting thing I watched was that ABC special I watched, and it's with Diane Sawyer. And she's basically exposing different faith healers and televangelists on TV. And it's, uh, it's re it was great. I love that kind of investigative journalism. <laughs> I just do. So she goes over three main proponents of faith healing and, uh, exposes them and i'm just gonna give you bullet points from the episode because i really i loved it okay so one major player in this game is wv grant i believe mm -hmm. he's still operating he's okay. a major faith healer and televangelist on somewhere in the south i should have written it down <laughs> and but he moved around a lot so they film him undercover for a week and we see him and his staff interviewing and taking notes before service um with all the people with a bunch of people who were there who were later mm -hmm. going to be called on stage Mm -hmm. And we've all you've seen these we've all seen these videos, right? Where they call yeah, the stage like, and they heal you through the power of faith. And you like fall and maybe like writhe around a little bit. Right. Maybe. Right. And yeah. you see these people who are in wheelchairs and they're walking and yes. you know, cured of all these miracle things, right? And the thing that all of these preachers say is that they're being called upon stage because it's it's coming from God. God mm -hmm. is giving them a name in that moment and they're compelled to call you up. Yeah. But you see all this undercover film of him and his staff talking to all people in the service beforehand and interviewing them, writing things down, and then they're later called on stage. It's basically like the the cold reading stuff that like television right. psychics do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when interviewed, the people who were able to be like healed, they're interviewed afterwards by this camera crew um, unbeknownst to them. And the people who could, like, quote-unquote, miraculously walk from wheelchairs and canes 
both yeah. had always been able to walk. Um, okay. One person, the person they were sitting next to had a cane. His issue was with his wrist. So he was brought up with a cane that wasn't his in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the other person in the wheelchair was like, oh, yes, I use this wheelchair, but I, I've always been able to walk. So okay. <laughs> the question is, like, why do these people keep quiet then? Yeah. And the the most common belief is that they keep quiet because they want to preserve the illusion for multiple reasons. They They're heavy into the faith at this point. Yeah. They want to believe the illusion that this is real, that it provides them some level of comfort maybe um, yeah. for whatever reason. And to challenge it kind of breaks that whole reason they're there in the first place. Right. Well, it's so interesting as you're saying this, I'm thinking um, so much about cults and mm-hmm. I'm not equating them with cult, equating religion with cults, but um, so I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who was saying like, you know, with cults, like, how do people get so far down that rabbit hole where they're like, like in wild, wild country where they're pureeing beavers and mm-hmm. uh, putting them into the water supply? It, and part of it is, I remember reading this interesting thing where they talked about like how much of it is motivated by shame that it's like, well, I have done this much in the name of this faith and in the name of this these beliefs that I have. And if I back out now... I'm going to have to admit that I made all these terrible decisions and like was fooled or tricked or whatever. And so that's like a really, really strong, compelling force for why people continue to support any sort of uh, belief or organization that like logically they're kind of like, oh, this is maybe not great, you know? Totally. And once you're once you're in it that far in, sometimes it feels like your mind will go to any, not excuse, but rationalization for why it's not a big deal or why it's really only affecting you it's not really affecting anyone else so who really cares you know right exactly this is my family it's just how we're choosing to live we're not hurting anybody else right you know you when something is working for you in some way it's hard to dismiss the parts of it maybe that come in later that hurt that you know yeah totally you know so one of the um random women that gets called up and is cured on stage happened to be one of the plants from primetime um, oh, it's like a. they call her up by her fake name. They call huh. her up. They had um her best friend, who was also a plant, gets talked to beforehand and provides this fake story. The fake story is what the preacher W.V. Grant says on stage to this woman with the fake name and cures her of a fake illness. Interesting. Insane. So yeah. the, uh, another thing he does a lot is and a lot of these gentlemen do is they try to claim that problems with your back are because you have a leg shorter than the other. Uh-huh. And then they perform a simple parlor trick on stage to show you your leg being fixed by like pulling your shoe out a little bit and then just like shoving it on in a certain angle. <laughs> and they do this often and they have done it to like plants on the show that, that have been doing these things. Oh, I have to go watch this. Oh, it's great. Um, this guy brings in between six and ten million dollars a year. Okay. And still today? Is he still like operating? He's still operating. I don't know if he's still bringing that much in, but in the 90s he wow. still was. And he, you know, it's through the church, so it's probably not taxed. Probably not. Right. So at one point, he asks members for his congregation for $99 from each of them because he was having such a hard time. And, you know, he got plenty more than that from the people. What a weird number to ask for, though. (laughs) Right. It's very markety. It's very like, oh, it's not 100. You know what I mean? 9.99. (laughs) But it worked, and he got a lot of money. But in the meantime, while he was asking for this for this money, what his members of his congregation didn't know was that he had just purchased a $105,000 Ferrari. 
Okay. His, his second Ferrari, by the way. This, again, reminding me of Wild Wild Country, mm-hmm. where the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh has, like, 40 Rolls Royces. Right. Um, he uses pictures of children from 64 orphanages in Haiti. These orphanages have never seen a dime from him. They exist, the ones he talks about. He's not affiliated with a single one. Wow. He has a missionary, quote-unquote, that he talks about that's over there that hosts one orphanage. And when followed up on this guy's name, I don't know if I wrote it down, but he's in a lot. It's Bob something. Um, he's Bob on... Saget? <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand Bob Saget. Comfort, controversial opinion. Really? Yeah, I don't think he's funny. I know he's supposed to be, like, controversial and stuff as a, you know, I don't think him as an adult comedian works for me at all. Okay, you know what's funny is I said that with such incredulity, but I've never seen him. I, I like, didn't really watch Full House, and I've never seen him do stand-up, so I don't know why I was surprised by you, you saying you don't like you know, him. I don't know anything about him. People seem to really like him. I like him on Full House, and I like the fact that he's so different off-camera as, a, he also as hosted, an idea. He also hosted America's Funniest Next Video, or Funniest Home oh, Videos, yeah, right? and I liked him on that, too, because there okay. was corny dad—it was his corny Bob Saget stuff, but when he does yes. his own stuff— I know it, he's I think really it's... raunchy and adult, as I recall. Yeah, and I think it's cool that he's so different. I like that idea, but yeah. his material's not good in my opinion. Okay, <laughs> it's terrible. But um... <laughs> sorry, Bob Saget. I'm the... sure he's a devoted listener, so we probably oh, yeah. just lost him as a subscriber. Just threw his iPhone across the room. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, Bob such and such, um, is not so important. He speaks to the camera very openly. He knows who wv grant is and he says he does get money from him every once in a while but that all of these orphanages that people claim to be working with all you basically have to do is put your name on it it doesn't really matter like the orphanage never really hears that you're affiliated with them but you could say it to other people it's pretty so he's not really actually affiliated with any orphanage he just says he is because he's donated like a a, a chunk of money at some point (sighs) okay so it's a fraudulent scheme. It's it's a very known fraud scheme. He's got like, he's very in on the scheme with these people. So yeah. the bad people who are d- using this money laundering scheme, his idea is I'm getting money that I would be getting anyway. So if they're going to give me like, if they get $500,000 that they said they're going to give me and they give me $500, I mm-hmm. wasn't getting that $500 anyway. So I'll take it. Gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that and makes sense. the way they do it is they accept the full amount, and then they find a secretive way to refund the money that the guy's actually going to pocket. Huh. And they just come to that agreement, and they take whatever they're going to take, and that's it. And so that's how the scheme works. And every single, by the way, every single person they interview references Tammy Faye Baker and, um, what's his name? Jim Baker. Jim, thank you. Undercover, they reference, like, how the Bakers did it wrong and how they do it the right way okay sure so they all kind of are it's very admitting to everything and uh of the three hundred fifty thousand dollars that this guy sometimes makes a month he donates about two to four k maximum a month to a a multitude of different charities that he claims to give the full amount to he's also got a five-story ski resort that he rents out for six hundred dollars a night Okay, so that's one guy. Listen, what I have feelings. And he's the main, main guy, too. He's the main <laughs> televangelist guy, I feel like. Matt, have you seen um, The Glorious Gemstones? Is that what it's called? Gem and the Holograms? <laughs> no, 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 no. The Righteous Gemstones. It's an no. HBO show. 
Oh my God, you have to watch it. Put it put it near the top of your list if it's right not now. already there. It's not very long. It's, I think, only like 10 episodes so far, nine episodes. It's the first season. Uh-huh. Um, it, a second season is coming, but it's about a oh. family of televangelists. And it's the, um, John Goodman is the head of the family. I love John. That's why I was just, I was like, I love John Goodman. It's so fucking good. Okay. And there are some outrageously hilarious moments in it like i Ooh. really really highly recommend that movie oh okay i'm definitely gonna watch this i love a few members of this cast i just called it a movie it's a tv show <laughs> i'm gonna check it out awesome thank you yeah oh it's right on topic too yes 100 percent. so uh another guy that they investigate is larry lee he has some pretty outrageous claims too that they debunked one is that he was building a church in auschwitz and oh. got all this money donated for it they visit the church in Auschwitz. It was being built by an organization in Poland. They received no money from Larry Lee. have never heard of him. He visited once for an hour with a camera crew. So basically his claims are like, wow, we're doing a lot of good work. Look at these people building a church in some random country mm-hmm. around the world. But there's never anything. Like they're just able to find footage of people like building a church in Auschwitz and claim to be donating to it. Well, they, they went for an hour and they filmed there. Gotcha. And then they said, look at this missions trip. So of the orphanages that this place donates to, they gave, they, so they did give a donation, a one-time donation of 40 K. Okay. They earn sometimes a million a month, (laughs) sometimes a hundred K in a day on member donations. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay, Wow. So these are mega, mega churches with people who are throwing, throwing money at them constantly Mm -hmm. and thinking it's going to, for good things. Right. Um, When mostly it's being pocketed. There was a fire in Tulsa that burned down Larry Lee's house that was on the news. And, you know, we told his whole church about it. It was televised. And when he got all this money donated to him, he had supposedly lost everything. And the congregation even built him a second house and it's huge it's like an estate Mm. it was bigger than the house that burned down um when investigated the property that burned down was a smaller property that he'd been trying to rent for two years he didn't actively live there and he had just moved a bunch of his stuff in there two days before the fire okay um what he didn't tell his organist his congregation was that he didn't lose everything because he had a five acre estate that he owns and has lived in for six years at that point that is fully furnished. So he's just fleecing people. <laughs> Correct. And they built him another house. And by the way, one month later, um, that house is completed, and that makes him having three houses at that point, even after one builds, burns down. Wow. And then lastly, they investigate Robert Tilton. This was like the most troubling one for me. Okay. So um, they interview the president of his organization undercover, and he like spills everything. And... They find out that the main scheme that he uses and a lot of people use is they mail out a gimmick. They ask members of the organization, the congregation, or potential members to mail the item that they send back um, with an optional donation of a dollar or more. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know why it works, but years and years of research has gone into the scheme and it works. And he has been getting tons of money. So they buy this stuff from Taiwan, like pieces of string, pieces of paper that look like money uh arrows on like cheap metal and they market it as like prayer arrows or cords of christ and Uh. they they mail it to you with a form saying please mail this back and we promise that uh 
Father Robert Tilton, or whatever they call him, preacher Robert Tilton, will pray over this, or he'll place it on a, st a sacred stone, or he'll meditate on it, or he'll pray for you, and th it, this guy gets tons of money from this. I'm sure, yeah. The way they figure out how to do this is they take all the client files that they currently have, they do market research, and they find out what appeals to which audiences, and then they just auto-mail things out. And they try to get as many names back as they possibly can from these people. So they are always asking people to give more names, more names, more names. And Multi-level marketing. Mm -hmm. This guy owns four homes. He's got $60 million in assets. And all of the followers' mail gets forwarded directly to the bank, not to him. Uh, and they take the money. They deposit directly into the account. And what happens to those items? Yeah. Uh, Primetime went down to the bank and opened the dumpster and found tons tons of these items and, and it was actually really sad they started opening like the paper that's just like loose and it's these really desperate pleas for him to pray over loved ones some sure. people sent in personal photos personal items trinkets that were like heirlooms and it's just Ugh. literally in the trash that's terrible it was the most heartbreaking thing so after so this airs right this primetime special mm -hmm. and then i was the guy who made this youtube video also included the follow-up little okay. clip because Robert Tilton fights back on the air after this. Oh. And he says it's all lies, it's sensationalism, uh, gotcha media, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, claims everything's a lie. And this is my favorite quote that he said. In his, like, you know, believe me, not them little uh -huh. thing, he blames <laughs> the members of his uh, organization or his congregation for some of the claims in it. Because one of the claims that I didn't include here because it's not important, um, well, I guess it is sort of important, is that he's had a lot of plastic surgery. Uh -huh. um, and it's multi It's like really expensive plastic surgery when he's like down and out saying he has no money. And this is his, his claim is for that. Here's the quote. The prayer request forms that were sent in by the congregation have ink on them and all kinds of chemicals I prayed, I laid on top of those requests praying so much that those chemicals got into my bloodstream and swelled my capillaries, and I had two small strokes in my brain that brought about numbness in my body, end quote. And then all of this led to sleepless nights, and he had bags under his eyes, so he got the plastic surgery. Okay? <sighs> and people <laughs> believe this. And oh, this is my favorite detail, the last detail about him. They went to some of his Crusades missions that he'd actually been on recently and asked like the crowd how it went. And they uh -huh. said that they didn't buy his stuff because during this Crusades mission where you're supposed to be like spreading the word of God, he's asking right. these impoverished people for donations. <laughs> oh my God. And they were like, uh, we don't have anything. Right. So that was just a, a piece of how faith healing affects more than just the people who are dying from it. It's affecting yeah. people's lives. They're donating money that they don't have they're giving money that they don't have with an expect an expectation of a return on their investment of like eternal life right and they're believing that they're just gonna you know get it and it's it's really terrible it's really totally. taking advantage of people in the worst yes. possible way in their most yes. vulnerable states yes i think robert tilton is the only one that i followed up on and seen like what he's doing now i looked uh -huh. up wv grant and he's still operating I didn't look up Larry Lee, but I just looked up Robert Tilton, and I think he is the one who's doing the worst. I think after all of this, he really started to go downhill, and his membership dropped, and it said that someone visited one of his, um, what used to be held in a megachurch, uh -huh. sort of whatever sermons, and it was like seven people at like a Ramada Inn. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I 
good for I don't know why I feel any sympathy, but (laughs) so um, the A and E documentary I watched that we were talking about, it's called No Greater Law from 2019. It's really going into this specific church called the Followers of Christ Church. Mm -hmm. Um, They originated in Oklahoma, and this is following a, a specific branch in Idaho. They all believe in faith healing only, and no medicine, no medical treatment whatsoever. Like we said, there are some that are less strict that that allow usually some things. Yeah. yeah, usually like midwives or better optometry. Most places don't even allow like a cast to be put on by a professional. There were cases wow. I heard about of people getting casts because like they got hurt in school or something, and someone else took in, took over, and they didn't have the opportunity to stop it. And, like, family members cutting the cast off when they get home. <sighs> um, here are... I'm not going to talk about the documentary, everything I learned in it, but I'll give you some some bullet points. Okay. So, on this church's property, and this is a small, small little town, mm-hmm. and on the property of this church in the graveyard, there are 610 graves, and over 200 of them are children. One of the quotes from someone on the documentary that got me was... Quote, a child should not have to drown in their own fluids while people are praying over them, end quote. And it's a simple sentence, but I was watching it and I was hearing all these cases of these children dying of simple things. And I wasn't realizing like, yeah, they're not just dying. Right. It's not like light switch on and off. Like it's a it's a slow process a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that I just went through some really painful like ailments, like the migraine thing. And Davey had chicken pox and how painful that was. If I had to go through that with no medical attention whatsoever, not even like a painkiller or a band-aid mm-hmm. or an, a, an ointment, I mean, how do you go through that, let alone something that's going to kill you? Eat right. And then the people who are supposed to be protecting you and taking care of you are watching it happen. Gleefully. It's one of those things, somebody on Facebook recently posted, like responded to a question like, if you were born 200 years ago or whatever, I don't even know what the timeline was. Like, what what would you have already died of? And I was uh-huh. like, oh, God, there's like several things that would have killed me already. It's like Oregon Trail. A hundred percent. In this documentary, one of the grown women talks about when she was little and her younger brother died um, because, you know, they refused medical care for him. And yeah. when he died, they blamed it on her. They told her that he probably died because she was bad. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, it's like that abducted in plain sight documentary I was mm-hmm. just watching. Like he had her, the little girl convinced that if she told anyone about him molesting her, that you know her sister was going to die or her mom was going to go blind or something. You know, and mm-hmm. and so anytime something went wrong, she was like, "Oh my god, it's because I did something bad and I'm a terrible person who caused this." Yeah. Um. Another thing. So this is all in Idaho, but and Idaho seems to be the most strict state with these laws that are in place that protect faith healing, which we'll talk about in a moment. Okay. So in Idaho and five other states at the time of this documentary in 2018, um, if it's criminal intent, if the trial dies because of criminal intent, it can go to trial. But if it's based on neglect, there's no um, way it's going to go to trial. Like the the DA's officer ever won't even look at it because there's protection for those with religious values. So kind of like what we saw in the episode, like you have to prove that they knew it wasn't going to work and that they knew their child was going to die. Exactly. Got exactly. It. Okay. So the reason I think the, the rubbing alcohol might have been used is because <laughs> they often use oils. Like that's the usual thing. And many yeah. people say it's just olive oil. Uh, okay. And 
one of the ways that I heard someone describe it is they would pour the olive oil over the area in question and then they let it drip down into like some kind of basin or jar and then they put the jar on the shelf and then as it congeals they're saying like that is the disease that went into it and is now in the jar got it okay okay but it's just the olive oil <laughs> that went over your skin picking up bacteria and is now and congealing yeah. as part of a natural process Correct. of oil yeah Mm-hmm. So I think that's what the rubbing alcohol is meant to be, like a common household item. I don't know. Okay. That's my guess. All right. So they use olive oil in this documentary that's anointed, quote unquote, by the elders. And yeah. that's how they treat everything. And one boy or man now gives an account of when he was little and he got a broken foot. And he was treated. He went to the doctor and they you know, wanted to set it and everything. And he got in trouble for doing that. Um, when he got home, they said, of course, we're just going to let it be and heal on its own. And they said, you probably got that as a punishment because you tried out for wrestling, which was like a secular thing, which would have took him outside of the church. So okay. he quit. And then later on, he talks about a story. This is pretty tragic. He had forgotten to mow the lawn. So as a punishment, his mom taped him to a chair outside and forced him to watch his stepdad now mow the lawn, like as a punishment. And uh-huh. when his stepdad did this, he accidentally, allegedly... <gasps> mows over his childhood dog oh my what the fuck uh-huh and when they do this and realize what happened they blame it on him i'm gonna be sick that is horrific child abuse and then they make him clean it up i can't handle that and this... i thought you were gonna say he mowed over his feet because he was like stuck in a chair Mm-mm. i mean both of those are oh, absolutely horrifying like that's that's scarring you for life and he is he speaks in the documentary he gives an impact statement at one trial in the documentary that's very i feel very impactful he like lists the names of all these kids within like a short period of time who have lost their lives yeah yeah it's pretty hard to watch some of his other accounts that of things he's gone through with this church <sighs> in mind that like let let's not even just talk about the people who are dying let's talk about the people who are living under this kind of treatment yeah and i'm and not saying they all like... do <laughs> mentally process that as you become an adult yeah a lot of the the people who were interviewed by the way seem like very good parents otherwise so i'll give them that and there are a lot of accounts like by people who end up having to see a doctor in some way where the doctor Mm -hmm. even says like yeah we were glad to see them but they're like in great health they're like in incredible health these parents are doing a great job so it's not to say that all cases are like this but it's to say that it's allowed to happen and it's totally normal yeah. You know, so members of the church are allowed to do religious rituals when someone dies before calling law enforcement under this protection. And so okay. it's usually hours before they report a death. And by that time, they've admitted to altering the scene and clean, cleansing the body <laughs> and wrapping it. And when the people get there, like the cops or paramedics or whatever, the whole church is usually there. And this is just uh. the way it's done. And they, they can't do anything about it. Wow. So autopsies are generally not ordered. Um, Yeah. It's, yeah. So one of the guys in this documentary, his name is Dan Seavey, I believe. He's the main guy who's in the church who's being, you know, interviewed for his take on things. Okay. And while the documentary is going on, something happens. So Dan and Sally Seavey, they have five children, I want to say, all together. By the time of this documentary, they've had two that pass away. Wow. And... Okay, March 19th, 2017, they have their third child pass away during the filming of this documentary. The That's a lot of children dying. Yes, it is. And the family was extremely upset on camera because I think because of the 
the presence of the documentary crew and the topic in the city, coroners during this case were able to get to the scene earlier than they were expected to. Mm-hmm. And the families on camera being like, why are they here? You know, we talked to, you know, whatever her name is at the office, Donna, and she knows us and what's going on. But there's Can I just say can when you it. said like Donna at the office, I pictured a woman with like really big curly oh. 80s hair and big, big, big Sally Jesse Raphael sunglasses. Absolutely. And like as soon as she leaves the office, she puts on like really, um, really heavily shoulder padded, like oh, black yeah. blazer with like a neon splatter on it. <laughs> a thousand percent. I feel like we've talked about big curly haired Donna before. Oh, we have to have. I love yeah. the curly hair, Donna. Uh, the best. In in this case, they do utterly autopsy. And in this case, it, it, it is a genetic birth defect that took this boy's life. His name was Clay. Oh. And okay. he, by all counts, by the medical examiner, was very well taken care of. And he even said that if this boy was put in a facility for someone with his condition, he probably wouldn't have received as good care as he did at home. Interesting. Okay. So that shines light on that. However, the previous two deaths were ruled as pneumonia. One was 16 and one was 19. Pneumonia. Yeah. So it's a little different. After, during the the documentary, there's a a vote for a Senate bill. It passes just barely to get to the Senate floor. Okay. But then it fails by quite quite a majority. And most of the bases are like, we can't tell people to change their religious beliefs. Right. And the big thing is it's fighting to get this to be looked at as a right of life issue versus a freedom of religion issue. Well, it's so it's so complicated. As I was watching the Law and Order episode and also a lot of the documentaries I've been watching a lot lately, all I could really think about was the like the kind of clashing of the concepts of like consent with Well, the big like, the big topic that I read about is is you know someone under the someone under age can't make major life decisions doesn't right. have that sort of wherewithal right but then when you have children saying like i want to see a doctor because my friends can see doctors and i don't feel good mm-hmm. and the parents are like no it's against our religion i don't know it, I, that to me is like a, a conflict like there that's a person's autonomy that's being ignored because we because our legal system is set up to where parents have the power of consent for their children you know yeah and that's really what the complicated that's really what people are lobbying for is listen if you're a grown man if you're a grown woman if you're a grown person and you don't want to accept medical care that is your right that is your choice but you cannot take that right away from someone who doesn't have that kind of that kind of ability to make that choice for themselves yeah a a baby but then they're i mean hello but then there's so many other like if we were to change that law there's so many other ways that that would show up where like parents are allowed to get you know have their children get married before the age of 18 if they consent to it or you know they approve you know medical procedures like there's so many ways that parents have control over their children in ways that i think don't allow for children's autonomy to be considered but then a lot of but then of course you know part of the logic behind that is like children don't have the wherewithal to always make the best decisions for themselves so it's like where do where do you draw that line yeah and i think that's something we're kind of continually trying to figure out cases like this are continually coming up and staying on the forefront of media there's documentaries you can watch like i said 2018 which we're still hearing about this mm-hmm. and there's high profile cases like one i remember when i was growing up was 11 um, year old karen newman in wisconsin she dies from undiagnosed diabetes in 2008 and hmm. her parents were actually convicted of six, month, six months in prison. Unlike wow, okay. all of these other cases where nothing is done about it. Right. 
Um, and it's because of attention being brought back in this case that we're talking about with Alex Dale Morris. Mm-hmm. This is often cited as like exposing this specific church and then exposing other churches to what was going on, even gotcha. though there's not a lot about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the big case that ends up happening more recently in 2009, this is way more like the actual episode. Okay. Um, you might remember this from the news. This was like covered by everyone, Anderson, Cooper, everything. Herbert and Catherine Scheibel on January 24, 2009. Um, so their son, Kent Scheibel, he's two years old. He's hanging onto life for hours as his parents and pastor are praying over him intently. He's 32 pounds, he can't fend for himself, and he passes away at 9.30 p.m. of bacterial pneumonia. This is Mm. 2009. According to the ME, um, all it would have taken would have been Tylenol to Mm. cure him, and he rules the death as a homicide. Wow. In the parents' mind, their best treatment was prayer, food, and liquids, they said. Both parents revealed that symptoms began over 10 days earlier— but they thought it was just a cold, and so they didn't think medical attention was necessary. They tried to argue that in court, that it wasn't their beliefs, which they admit to, of not wanting medical care that was the problem. It was because they, they misdiagnosed. Hmm. They're found guilty regardless, but they're only convicted um, in December of involuntary manslaughter and child endangerment and sentenced to 10 years probation okay. each. They're also ordered within this to take the seven remaining children they have— Two regular checkups, actual medical checkups, which they promise to abide by. How is that not, boy, because they talk about the separation of church and state and that, like, that fight, that ruling seems to impose upon their religious beliefs to me. Well, this is in, let's see, this is in Wisconsin, and I believe they don't have any protections there for, for this. Like that exception that they talked about in Law and Order doesn't exist there. I believe so. And it's also, okay. I think it did at one point. Wisconsin used to be on the list, but it's no longer. Okay. On April 18th, 2013, same family, their eight-month-old child, Brandon Scheibel, was feeling ill. He had diarrhea, was vomiting, and was having trouble breathing. Later that same day, he passed away. Wow. According to the ME, he died of a combination of dehydration and bacterial pneumonia. Again. Oh, fuck. How are all these people getting pneumonia? (laughs) This is what they want to be the diagnosis, I think. Oh. Because it's just pneumonia. But had Brendan been given antibiotics and fluids, he would have survived, the ME said. Hmm. So this is the second child it happens to in 2013, which I think is why it's more similar to the actual case in the episode. Hmm. They pled guilty on this case because their promise on their probation that they were still on was to take their children to checkups. And by the way, they had another child in this time. They pled guilty to the rare charge of third-degree murder, and they're sentenced to three and a half to seven years in prison, with 30 months probation to start afterwards. Of their seven remaining children, six of them who are under 18 all are in foster care. That's so sad. Yeah. Catherine, the mother, said, this is her quote, after this um, sentence, or before the sentencing. She said, My religious beliefs are that you should pray and not have to use medicine. But because it is against the law, then whatever sentence you give me, I will accept. End quote. Um, At sentencing, the judge was quoted saying, You killed two of your children. Not God, not church, not your religious devotion, you. That's, I think, way more similar. And it's troubling that it's, you know, what, seven, eight years ago? 
the laws that exist to protect religious organizations in states like Idaho, um, they were relics from the Nixon administration. Hmm. Because two of his two main advisors were like mega Christian scientists to the max. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they pushed for this to be put into motion. And that's, that's where this is all really coming from. Huh. As of 2020, only seven states offer no religious exemptions from criminal or civil charges. So there's only seven currently that have nothing, um, no exceptions allowed. Oregon is the latest to be added to the list, which we'll talk about in a second. Okay. Um, and then there's also Nebraska, Tennessee, North Carolina, Maryland, and Massachusetts. So okay. faith healing, not a good excuse there. What's the word I'm looking for? Alibi? Exemption? Exem- <laughs> what am I talking about? Like when you claim insanity, that's your plea? Defense. Defense. Not a good defense. There we go. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> faith healing, not a good defense there. There are six states that allow exemptions for negligent homicide, capital murder, and manslaughter. So this is the ones that are on the other side of the extreme. And they yeah. are Idaho, as we said, Louisiana, Arkansas, Iowa, Ohio, and West Virginia. Okay. So as I mentioned, Oregon was the one that's most recently to eliminate the religious exemption laws um, for denying medical care in 2011. So can I just clarify? So that means in Oregon, if a child dies as a result of lack of medical care and the family is saying, well, we were praying, we were doing spiritual healing, they can still be tried. Yeah, that you can't use that as a, as as a defense, defense okay. anymore because it falls under the category of neglect. And Got neglect it. falls okay. under child abuse, whereas in these other states, the category of neglect being child abuse is fuzzy. Gotcha. So it didn't take long after this um, overturn in 2011 for them to start taking action and prosecuting cases. About, uh, I don't know, less than six months later, Timothy and Rebecca Weiland were convicted of criminal mistreatment for allowing a growth the size of a baseball to infect their child's head over their eye and cause them to lose sight. And it went Jesus. untreated because of this. And they are, you know, convicted of a crime and the child is taken away from them and has been treated. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. So I know that in like olden times and not so olden times, part of some religious beliefs was that uh, like any sort of illness was a result of like a moral failing. Like if you develop a disease, it's because, you know, you've, you've done bad sinful things or whatever is that did you come across any of that sort of perspective in in researching these cases of spiritual healing i did come across a few claims of people who were survivors of being in these organizations saying uh-huh. that but they're not okay substa- you know the you know the organizations say this is of course not what we say or what we teach right you know it's based right. on scripture and you know yeah. it's usually you're being shamed for something okay that's definitely been confirmed but it's not always your, like, co- who you are at your core. Gotcha. I will say I have a very close connection to, I know some people who are in a faith that is just like that, and they're still in that faith. That, that illness is a result of, like, moral corruption. Yeah. And I okay. know this because someone very close to them passed away. And I'm not, um, I'm not very close with these people, but they wouldn't come to the funeral. Because it, you know, shouldn't be happening if they were right with God. Oh my God! So basically, Tragic. the fact that you died means you were a bad person. So we're not gonna like recognize or acknowledge or honor your memory. Yeah, like that's the abridged version. But yeah, pretty Ooh. wild. Okay. So yeah. this and that's that wasn't that that story is you know less than ten years ago I think, if I remember yeah. correctly. Because of all of this happening in Oregon, Idaho is like trying 
extra hard. There's so many lobbyists and people pushing for change. But even in the documentary we watched, they show them trying to get the laws passed, and it's it seems pretty bleak. They're like so outvoted. I was shocked. Hmm. One article I read likened the idea of children dying because of their you know parents refusing the medical treatment. Um, they likened it to torture. And I kind of agree because it's like the child has, like we said, the child has no choice on the matter. Right. And then they're forced to suffer, like actually physically suffer and emotionally suffer through an illness that slowly will consume their bodies and in many cases kill them as their parents right. and their like trusted people watch them. Yeah. And then if you survive that, you probably believe it. Yeah. You know, and I, it's, that is so I can't, I can't even. So organizations such as Christian Science Church Parents, members of End Times Ministries, Faith Assembly members, and General Assembly Church of the Firstborn are among the many of the protected congregations who still actively promote faith healing exclusively to its members. Not Did you even... just say End Times Congregation? Mm, yeah, it's called <laughs> Members of End Times Ministries. That's Fun. not very cheerful. <laughs> Come Name. stay after for some coffee and cake. Honestly. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of lobbyists and people fighting against this, as I said. Um, one I wanted to highlight is 20-year-old Mariah Walton. I watched a couple of interviews with her in it as well. And she's among many advocates for getting bills passed in Idaho specifically to amend mm -hmm. the current laws that protect against faith healing. Her story is very personal to her. She herself has pulmonary hypertension that leaves her mostly bedridden and on oxygen she's 20 and had her parents gotten her medical attention as an infant rather than praying over her this would have been easily cured Ugh. she would like to see her parents prosecuted in the past decade Don't. alone one county in idaho reported 10 children in the followers of christ church to have died from treatable and preventable causes there's an organization called children's Healthcare is a legal duty which is the acronym child yeah, they're lobbying states to repeal protections in criminal codes that implicitly condone, condone faith healing. And because of their efforts in Oregon, they were able to get bills passed to repeal the laws in 2011. And they're hoping to do the same in Idaho and other states. But Idaho is like the big fish, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, oh, okay. So one of the people I mentioned earlier, Dr. Seth Osser. Um, he's the pediatrician who's quoted. He's a big lobbyist for everything on this. He's a huge advocate and a name that you see for policy change. Mm -hmm. He sees no reason parents who allow their children to go without proper medical care should be treated any differently than parents who neglect their children in other ways. And I, I couldn't really agree more. I mean, like willing child neglect, active yeah. participation in it. I don't think you should get a pass because it's just your belief system to like literally watch your child deteriorate. And I think I'm going to end with two quotes. One, I'll give you this, the perspective of the members of this church. And it's from one of their mothers. And to me, this is chilling. To her, this is comforting. She says in the documentary that these aren't their children. They're God's children that they look at as their babysitting and so okay. whenever God calls back for their, his children, they're happy to return them back, knowing that they'll also be returning back to where they're ultimately going anyway. Right. And right. so they're not worried about their life on this earth ending. They're worried about their afterlife not being right. in the kingdom, which is, you know, usually right. So yeah. that's the way they look at it. So there's that. Um, the way Dr. Seth Osser looks at it is, quote, 
if you or I get drunk and pass out and a child dies as a result, we go to jail. But if a child dies of a preventable medical issue because of these parents' own form of being stoned on religion, they're not held liable. End quote. And you can, you know, see where my my thoughts are on the issue based on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a... I I have a lot of, like, conflicting thoughts about all of this because I I do think... Like, I, I kind of often come back to, like, what are people's, like, motivating, like, belief system that drives their actions or whatever? And, you know, the people in Law and Order, at least, like, those characters, like, their belief was that accessing medical care puts your soul at risk. And when you die, like, that's your eternal life. And so that's what matters most, not, like, this time here on Earth. And so, like it makes sense to them not accessing medical care and it makes sense to them like, okay, my child has been called back by God and yada, yada, yada. So I understand why they are making those choices, but it's in a really interesting way. I think that like the freedom of religion is something that children aren't often afforded. Like it's just sort of like, this is these are my parents religious beliefs so therefore this is what my child believes kind of thing and that's it doesn't give the child the time to make different choices or think or think through things themselves and see do I believe this or not I don't know it's so complicated to me to try to make sense of these things because obviously like I think it's really important that we don't necessarily have a lot of laws that infringe upon people's religious beliefs but when it's to the detriment of an an entity like a child that cannot make informed decisions by themselves under legal definitions, then that's a problem. Yeah, and you know? I also thought, like, what about current day pandemic times? These people yeah. are probably not looking they're probably for... probably not social distancing or vaccinating. Exactly, <laughs> or... and yeah. they're not caring, and they're letting people die because of COVID, and they're letting themselves spread it to other people. Yeah. So that's it's, the it's tricky a thing bigger is when it, problem, you know? Yeah. When it's not just your, like, yeah, Miles and I have that exact conversation where it's like, you know, that it might be your belief that you aren't, you know, susceptible to COVID or it's just like the flu or whatever. But the fact that your actions could have pretty widespread consequences for the community at large is a bigger problem than just your individual choices and liberties. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Boy. That's a very tricky. difficult line to try to draw in the sand. Mm-hmm. Are you done? I'm done. That's okay. It. Well, great job. That was, it's so, I find things like this so interesting because it's just like where morality meets the law, it suddenly becomes so gray and messy. And I think it's really interesting to kind of try to pull those things apart. So I was very interested in hearing these cases. Thank you for doing such a great job researching them. Thank you. And I'll I'll put all of the links up on the website. So or I'll, I'll send Yay. them over to be put up on the website. <laughs> we'll send them to Miles, who is doing our web design for us. So how would you rate the episode in terms of watchability and how it dealt with the topic? I would say watchability, I would give this episode probably a higher grade than you're going to. I didn't actually <laughs> mind it. I liked some of the the little processes they showed, like jury selection or getting things admitted or not. Yeah. It did go on too long, but I liked it. So I'm going to give the episode a C, a plain C for watchability. Okay. I think it's it's so funny. I've I think I just have realized that whether I'm the recapper or the researcher influences how I feel about the episode mm-hmm. often because... 
uh, you know, like if they dealt with a topic really poorly, like they dealt with sexual assault really poorly or what, or racism or whatever, it influences how I feel about the story a lot. But then also <laughs> if it's, if it's one of those things that's very procedural and like, here's this technicality and we have to do this, like it's not necessarily gripping to recap that. Mm, yeah. So I feel like I would rate this an F <laughs> for watchability. Cause I was like, God damn, this is so boring. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they did a like pretty accurate job of, and I'll, I mean I'm I'm not religious at all, so I can't really speak to the sensitivity of how they dealt with the topic for people who like maybe are of this belief system. But um, my perception is that they dealt with it in a pretty um, like subjective way of like this is these people's beliefs, this is the law, and here's how they interact. I think so too. I don't know. So I would I would give it like I would give it an F for watchability, but I would give it like a B for how it dealt with the topic because I feel like they didn't do anything that really implied like you know there was that moment where he kind of aggressively questioned the woman on the stand about her eyeglasses and and the judge was like you can't make her you can qu- question her about her beliefs but you can't like imply that her beliefs are stupid mm-hmm. and so I feel like that was the only moment where that tension came into play otherwise I felt like they dealt with those folks religious beliefs pretty respectfully i think so too i would give it a pretty decent i would give it an a minus for topic i think it was a pretty good way to bring the topic to the public in a way because like i said when i was googling this case it was very hard to find information yeah so i think it's a good way to get the topic out there to people who probably don't even think about faith healing or think of it as a you know something you see on in like only cults you know exactly so i think it's pretty pretty good on that Uh, so i'll give it an a minus Awesome. Great. Well, if you would like to help us grow, the very best thing that you can do is to rate and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to our episodes on. I check reviews literally (laughs) every week, so... (laughs) Also, the best way for other people to find our podcast is through word of mouth. So if you have made it this far, you listened to this entire episode and probably enjoyed it. So tell a friend that you enjoyed it and maybe post about it on Facebook or Reddit and... You know, just spread the word. Yeah, and speaking of posting about it, our social media is Ripped Headlines on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our email is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. We absolutely love getting email from you, so please feel free to send us a note just to say hi, anything at all. Also, I know we've said this a few times, uh, but we will be launching a newsletter, a merch store, Patreon, and other cool things like that soon. So don't forget to check out our website, rippedheadlinespod.com, to uh, check all that out. Yeah, and we love collaborating with other podcasters and makers out there. So if you're a fellow podcaster, feel free to contact us. Or if you'd like to see us uh, you know, collaborate with one of your favorite podcasts, put us in touch. You never know. Thank you so much for listening to Ripped from the Headlines, where you get some facts and some fiction. We'll see you next week. And until then, stay out of the headlines. Goodbye. Bye.